unidentifiable flying object. UFO continues to be a mystery. Wasn't alone in space. Fighting the UFO. Something out there. Close enough to be observed. What could it be? It could only be one thing. A UFO. Hey, what's going on? Good to see you. You look good. You look healthy. I'm glad. Hey, thanks everybody for coming along. Another episode of UFO No. Really appreciate it. Shows are growing. Means a lot. Uh, and it's all because of you. Keep uh, clicking that play button. Or if you're on your phone, tapping that play button. Uh, or whatever you're doing. If somebody sent it to you. Thank you very much. Anyways, really, really appreciate it. If you've been following along since the beginning, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And if you're just getting into this, you just, this is your first episode. Hey, thanks. Thanks. What brought you here? I'd love to know. Hit me up. 208-790-8226. I'd love to know what led you to the show. See how I around there? Oh, I love it. Anyways, text me. Had an individual text me over the weekend. We got to rap a little bit about uh, the universe and the probabilities of things being out there. That's awesome. I love that. Text me. Once again, 208-790-8226. I want to believe. I'd love to chat with you. As well, if you're listening on Apple iTunes, uh, I believe Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, I think you can leave reviews. Anyways, anywhere you can leave reviews, that's awesome. Really helps grow the show. It, It means a lot. And you know what? If you give me a review, I'll make sure and shout it out on the show because I love you that much. So to my my very good friend, somebody I work with at uh, Clarkson CBD Company, by the way, use promo code UFO No, all one word, UFONO on ClarksonCBDCo.com. Man, I am rhyming like a motherfucker today. Anyways, use that promo code and save 10% site-wide as well as if you sign up for the email list, you get in on promo codes aplenty. Like right now, use promo code Black Friday. I'm telling you, exclusive, exclusive. Use promo code Black Friday right now. You save 20%, 20 entire site. Anyways, reviews. To my good friend, Casey Leesky, uh says, always fun to listen to. Five stars, by the way, five stars. It really looks good when you leave five stars. Anyways, always fun to listen to. The co-hosts are hilarious and make listening to the show so much fun. If you're interested in conspiracy, alien, science fiction, science fact, you have to have to take a listen to UFO No. Thank you very much. means a lot. Uh, to Gigi Holland, five stars. Aliens says, I absolutely love the newest episode on USOs. That's uh, unidentified submersible objects, which was an awesome thing. It's it's a major, major thing. I mean, the fact that we don't know a majority of what's in our own, own oceans is incredible. So anyways, and there's a lot of shit there. Uh, I have a lot more episodes to catch up on, but I'm looking forward to it. Subscribed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Make sure and do that. Subscribe. We're on YouTube. I'm not, I haven't been doing uh, a whole lot of like actual camera action, but I've been putting the audio with a video up on the YouTube. So uh, check it out. Anyways, and then uh, to your scented memoried. I love it. Uh, your scented memoried. Five stars says solid UFO UAP 
UAP podcast. Really happy to find this one to add to my rotation. He is kind of a doof. I am. But a lovable doof. Oh, thanks. But he also takes talks seriously when it comes time to be serious. Damn straight. I don't fuck around. I do, but I don't. Anyways. Uh, so anyways, thank you so much for the reviews. Really means a lot. Only have three, but hey, they're all five stars. What did I tell you? If you put a five star up there, it looks so uniform. Thank you so much. So look, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the elephant in the room real quick. Get a little personal. Blind Mike. He hasn't been on the show. I know for a while I was saying he was abducted. He has been abducted. He has by aliens. All right. I, I'm just being real with you. Okay, I feel like it's time. I know I've been kind of, I haven't been talking about it. I haven't been addressing the fact that Blind Mike is no longer on the show. Why? What happened? He was abducted. Plain and simple. I I haven't heard from him. I it or anything. So <sighs> Blind Mike, if you're up there, the big UFO in the sky, please know that we are searching for you. There is, a, there is a rescue party out there, like Independence Day style, bro. It's on its way to come and get you. So just so you know, just so you know, you alien motherfuckers, we're coming for you. And we're taking Blind Mike back. All right. With that being said, if you have any rockets or artillery that you can send into space to help locate Blind Mike, it is much appreciated. You can sign up to be able to donate and all this stuff to getblindmikebeforehesanalprobed.com. That's getblindmikebeforehesanalprobed.com to donate or supplies, money, whatever it is. Getblindmikebeforehesanalprobed.com. Thank you very much. Anyways, all right. Back to the show. Back to the show. Okay, so on this episode... Oh, by the way, go share the episode on your socials. Splash us about. We look good everywhere. Subscribe where you can. It means a lot. Helps grow the show. YouTube, uh, wherever you can. Follow, hit the follow button, the subscribe button, whatever it is on whatever platform. And we are fucking everywhere. By the way, you can just tell your Alexa, say Alexa, Play podcast UFO no, and sometimes you gotta enunciate because Alexa is a bit of a bitch. Sometimes she really, you know, she's listening all the time. It's like selective hearing. You twat. Anyways, uh, subscribe review please helps grow the show. Awesome. Remember, use that promo code ClarksonCBDCo.com. Save ten percent. I'm telling you. Good gummies. We do a great job of bringing shit in. You are not going to be disappointed. Gummies, capsules, rubs, oils, you name it. Save 10% on your entire purchase. Every purchase, by the way, when you use that, that has no limitation. Uh, And then to help out, because I love these guys, Hell's Canyon Cannabis Company, ask for them in your local Washington retailer if you want real, healthy, ethically grown cannabis with a balanced experience and you're in Washington State, Ask for Hell's Canyon Cannabis Company and your local Washington retailer. And if they don't have it, hit me up. Once again, 208-790-8226. I'd love to hear from you. But let me know if they don't have it. I'll get a hold of them and be like, hey, yo, I got what you need. People are asking for it. 
Get them what they want. All right. So anyways, let's go on. So what are we talking about on this episode? We're going uh, to talk about mysterious deaths, mysterious circumstances in which people died, researchers, whistleblowers, and whatnot. Uh, and it's a bit controversial, to say the least, because it is a lot of speculation as to you know, what may have happened, because obviously the official reports on a lot of these are suicide or, you know, heart attack or uh, plummeted 72 stories to his death, you know, whatever it might be, uh, they are, they are suspicious circumstances to say the least, to say the least. So anyways, we're going to go over a number of them. Okay. So I just want to point out that a lot of this is speculation. Of course, that's the entire show, right? I don't need to give you, you awesome people, uh, a disclaimer as to what we do here. So anyways, but we're going to go over some cases, some things that just don't line up. And here's, here's the questions that we're going to go over by the end of this. I think it's, you're going to be intrigued. Okay. Are the secrets of UFOs and aliens really worth killing for? Okay. Is it just a coincidence that these people died under these suspicious circumstances and also had an interest in UFO and alien encounters? Or maybe it's something a little bit more sinister going on in our own government. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they love to say that these are conspiracy theories, you know, and that term was started, I believe, back in uh, the JFK uh conspiracy because they wanted to label those that were looking into the truth to deflect and discredit them. So that term was created under suspicious circumstances on its own. And so, uh, you know, anyways, it's a term that's labeled things that they don't want you to look into for obvious reasons, but there are a lot of, questions that are that are brought up and not answered in a lot of these deaths so let, let's get into it so uh but also the idea that why is it why is it this has always bothered me why is it that some whistleblowers like look at edward snowden julian assange uh, Bob was, are, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are people that were, that were incarcerated and have been uh, attempted murders, not to mention people that have died, which we're going to go over them. But why do people get locked up or killed when people like Bob Lazar or Stephen Greer are alive and well and profiting off of their, um, truth tellings? Why is that? Why is that? And, and, you know, we've gone over this before, but there are disinformation agents that are put out in the public. There were, there's Richard, uh, not Richard Doty. Yeah, Richard Doty, who was a self-claimed, well, he came forward to say he was a part of the Men in Black program that was basically a disinformation program where they would go and they would... Um, you know, as soon as they got word that somebody was coming forward with any kind of information, they would go and head it off and they would feed them disinformation of things that would would be easily discredited to murky the waters, muddy the waters that was the truth, making it harder to find what was really there because they were giving them false facts. 
that were then discredited later, discrediting the entire testimony. But then you have Bob Lazar and Stephen Greer, who are, in my opinion, could easily be disinformation agents, being the fact that, you know, Stephen Greer claims to be this amazing disinfor or, uh, uh, um, oh, brother, what's the word? Um, anyways, he's trying to bring forward the truth in this, claims to be, has all these military people that are coming forward as well. The problem is, can we really trust all government agents? Can we really trust them? The entire lesson, in my opinion, of ufology is don't trust the government. So why would we trust a government agent, Stephen Greer? And, and I don't know. I don't know for sure. It just makes me suspicious. There's some things that have come up with him and charging people a lot of money to go and conjure alien experiences, who, which he claims are brought forward with you know, consciousness and, and reaching out with energy, uh, but only in certain locations and only with $3,000 to come out and you can't video it. Um, and then there's some concept, some people that have come forward saying there was uh, there was some uh, it looked like some interesting things with a plane launching off in the same area where they claim to have have conjured these and that it could have easily dropped some kind of flare out there. So anyways, why is it that we trust some but we distrust others? And what makes some worth killing and some worth not killing when it appears that Bob Lazar and Stephen Greer are bringing forward so much information. Disclosure. That's the word. God damn it. Stephen Greer is part of the disclosure movement. Anyways, when you have people like Bob Lazar and Stephen Greer that are alive and well and prospering from what they've done come forward with why are they not being killed anyways let's go into this because this is a long this is a deep dive deep dive into these uh less than well anyways they're very very odd circumstances so of course let's go into it now the first possibility of this is that these people were correct they were keeping the ufo secret they kept it and then they were killed for it that's obviously worth. But then we also have to realize that in certain cases, keep in mind the disinformation agents, um, there could have been something else. It might not have been UFOs. It might have been something else. That's another question is, is it really that they dipped into UFO and alien truth? Or maybe it's something more like they're using this. Like I've said before, they're using UFOs to mask government technology tests and we just automatically say oh it's a ufo we don't even say oh look it's a government plane it's government craft that they're testing could very easily be what it is anyways we're going to look at the death and research of a guy named danny casalero uh, who worked on actually didn't have a lot to do with ufos um, it just ended up connecting to that. So there is a book called Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind, Suspicious Deaths, Mysterious Murders, and Bizarre Disappearances in UFO History by Nick Redfern. Now, we're going to refer to Redfern a lot 
and we're going to refer to Casalero a lot, okay? So he looked at several interesting deaths, including, uh, uh, Redfern did, including Danny Casalero, who, along with his claims of the octopus, the octopus, what's the octopus? Remember Hydra? If you're a Marvel fan, think of Hydra, right? They use the octopus symbol. This is, it's interesting. Is it, you know, life imitating art and all that? Anyways, his claims that this octopus group reached into positions of power and influence around the world. He mentioned Dolce, New Mexico, a place that is thriving with UFO and alien conspiracies. We've talked about it before. According to Redford's research, Casalero uncovered evidence of a secret project called Yellow Lodge that this octopus organization, I'm telling you, it's Hydra, it's fucking Hydra, was financing. This ultra-secret project uh, dealt with new, exotic, and lethal viruses that could be used for assassination and warfare. And what's even more interesting is that Casalero sources claimed that his research took place, or that this this research, the uh, the Yellow Lodge, took place in an underground facility. Guess where? Dolce, New Mexico, which we're going to get into a lot, a lot, but later on. So, a lot of you UFO researchers uh, think that not only is there an underground facility in Dolce, but that there's also an alien presence. Once again, we're going we're gonna to do, do, do a deep dive into this. We've gone over this in another episode. Go back to episode two, Dolce, New Mexico, and we, we go into it a bit, but we're going to go deep into the entire thing, and Phil Schneider and Dolce, New Mexico are a very core element in this. Uh, but according to Castellero's files, the rumors and claims of alien abduction are an intentional smokescreen designed to put into action, designed and put into action by the people overseeing this program, Yellow Lodge, so they could deflect interest from what was really going on in Dolce. So according to some of Castellero's claims, Money, many of which are have been proven accurate by a lot of researchers, uh, that some alien abductions are actually, get this, and we've covered this in another episode, are actually human-led abductions, so military abductions, government abductions, carried out using mind control techniques with drugs to distort perception, MKUltra. We've gone over this, MKUltra and alien abductions. We had a friend of ours, Hannah, come in. We talked all about it. Go back to episode. I can't remember what number it is. But we specifically talk about MKUltra and alien abductions, and we line them up side by side, and you can connect the dots. Uh, like this, that, this, draw a line from the MKUltra experiments to alien abduction scenarios. Anyways, crazy. So right there. You got Casalero saying the same goddamn thing. So except for a moment that some secret behind-the-scenes organization is able to control key events 
And they are likely going to use these same techniques for their own devious purposes. Now, they're going to, you know, obviously what you see on the surface is not what's going on under the water. You see what I'm saying? The deep state, if you will. Essentially. I want to take just a moment to talk about CBD. CBD works as a very powerful anti-inflammatory. And I'm sure a lot of you have met someone who's used it or know a family member who's using CBD to relieve pain, anxiety. And the truth is it does all of those things. Helps relieve pain, reduce and prevent inflammation, as well as relieving anxiety and stress on top of improving quality of life. So if you're looking to try CBD for the first time or get into something new and you want some answers, Clarkston CBD Company is where you want to go. Little plates I help manage uh, as well as educate people as to the benefits and products that can work for them. Check us out online, ClarkstonCBDCo.com. Shop online, reach out on Facebook, Clarkston CBD Company, and back to the show. Having seen how useful using this alien abduction false memories in their experiments with mind control in the 1950s and 60s, how good they were, they realized they could use it on the local population around Dolce, New Mexico to carry out their experiments right underneath their noses. So what you have to consider when you're looking at some UFO investigators and researchers and whether they really met their ends due to their research. Maybe they didn't, once again, maybe they didn't stumble on UFOs and aliens. But criminal activity against their own population at the tippy top of government. And that's why they were eliminated. Because they broke through the smoke screen. They pulled the curtain. They saw the wizard. What's interesting about these connections is another whistleblower, Phil Schneider, which we're going to get into a lot, and we've discussed in previous episode, once again, episode two, also made claims of crazy things in Dolce saying it, there is a very definite and real alien connection. So we're going to go back to Casalero. Remember these names, Casalero, uh, Redfern. But let's talk about Phil Schneider. This is deep. And even in UFO circles, even in ufology, the name Phil Schneider is controversial. So just realize it's a big deal. So let's give some background. His father... Oscar Schneider, captain in the U.S. Navy, getting involved in programs like Operation Crossroads during a lot of nuclear weapons tests. Phil stated that his father was part of many secret projects, just one being the Philadelphia Experiment that he worked on as a structural engineer on several top secret bases, usually involving underground facilities. Phil stated there was more than 100 underground bases and facilities in the U.S., many of which containing aliens, that he had personally worked on 13 of these top-secret locations. According to Phil, they started construction in the early 40s 
but accelerated in the years after World War II. Keep in mind Roswell, 1947. As soon as they realize they have a reason to do this, as soon as they realize they have a reason, Phil claimed that his responsibility to evaluate rock strata, which is a layer of sediment, sedimentary rock or soil, which I didn't know that, so that I had to look it up, uh, underground to locate any natural formations or caverns that existed and essentially where the best location was to begin construction on these bases. He, along with other engineers, were lowered deep underground into shafts to gather data for determinations on whether explosives should be used to quarry out or whether high heat technology would be better to melt the rock. So the more projects he worked on, the more Phil claimed to become aware of a, quote, sinister nature of these top secret facilities that Phil himself was forbidden from speaking about. So he could not talk about these underground facilities. Once again, top secret as well as the feeling that someone else appeared to be working secretly with the military, someone he believed lived deep underground. Phil claimed a battle unfolded by accident. This is crazy, people. So, mind you, we went over this in another episode, but I want to go over it again in case you didn't hear that episode. But this is a, this is a really incredible story. He claimed that the project he was involved in that particular time was to build an additional building on the already existing underground base. He claimed that this space went down seven levels, two and a half miles underground. While monitoring the rocks and testing ways to remove them, they discovered, the group, their engineering group they were with, discovered an open cavern that was, quote, full of aliens, also known as large grays. Now imagine... Imagine that. That's insane. I mean, I'm not saying insane like it didn't happen. How the fuck do I know? But that's imagine doing that, seeing that. Incredible. He also claimed that there was a human response unit of around 30 people down there shortly after they stumbled on the situation that were already actively engaged in a firefight with these aliens. And another unit arrived a short time after. Most of them were killed in the fight. Phil claimed he killed two of these aliens. Crazy. What a badass. I mean, look, if I was telling a story, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. He claimed they had exposed an underground alien base, a base that existed for millions of years. So he went on a lot of talks. And he stated that he was one of only three survivors of this firefight, adding, quote, how long I will be able to do this is anybody's guess, as in able to talk about this. And that the two other survivors were under closer guard. He claimed that over 60 Secret Service and FBI agents were killed in the battle. He gets kind of emotional when he's talking about it. He talks about how one of them saved his life, in fact. Um, he also stated that the origins of this intertwining between humans and aliens went back to an alleged agreement, which we talked about in a previous episode called presidential encounters. Um, 
that went back to an agreement signed under the Eisenhower administration in 1954. A treaty said to be a treaty said to be called the 1954 Greta Treaty. Phil claimed this treaty in exchange for technology gave these aliens access to quote <laughs> a few cows and to test their implanting techniques on a few human beings. Anal probe implanting techniques that's a fancy term for taking up the pooper although they had to give details about the people involved but it's claimed that over the decades the bargain was altered increasingly in the aliens favor it reminds me of that darth vader line you know pray that i don't alter it any further right do you feel that you're being treated unfairly that's a terrible, terrible. I'm not trying to do I'm not. I'm just trying. I'm just. Anyways, it's a terrible Darth Vader impression. I apologize. Anyways, during his talks of this incident. And go. You can look up videos of this. You can clearly see damage done to three of his fingers. Which he claims was partially severed with a laser like weapon. And he's got a large scar on his chest. He claims he was shot in the chest with one of these weapons described as a box on their body that shot out a blue beam. When he instinctively rose his hand, three of the fingers were severed and it hit him in the chest. He also claimed he received a dose of cobalt radiation poisoning. Now, I had to look up because I was like, what the fuck is cobalt radiation? I know what poisoning is. Apparently, the exposures to high levels of cobalt damages the effective cells or affected cells in the body, causing them to mutate and develop cancer cells. Anyways, Phil describes this weapon uh, once again as a box on their body that shot a blue beam, and it he claims that it flayed him open like a fish. That's what he says. His real words are, it flayed me open like a fish. Um the weapon forced Phil backward into the ground, and it was because of this Green Beret soldier dragged and hoisted him onto some kind of an elevator from the scene. And that's the only reason he didn't die there. That's what he says. Phil also stated that there was a war going on under our feet and above our heads that most of the world's population is completely unaware of. And this war not only involves humans and gray aliens, but reptilian aliens. There you have it. Now think about all the endeavors that we've made to go to space. It, it makes you wonder why the push. Why in the 60s was there a sudden push to go to space? And it, I mean, look, the time frame is right. You know, make of it what you will, but the timing is right. That if there was a war started or going on and it escalated during this time by a potential crash in 1947, which I still speculate was not alien, but actually our own technology that was crashed and we need to cover it up. And that's when the UFO mythology was first brought to born was first born. So that way they could cover up what they were really doing anyways. But, but 
it could also be that they were observing that we were in the middle of negotiations, whatever it could have been. One of them crashed. They didn't like how we traded them. Who knows? But keep in mind, this isn't just Dolce. There's another researcher, Alec Christopher, along with Phil, claimed to have gained access to the secret underground facility that many people believe is under Denver International Airport. If you're not familiar with this, there is a a theory that there is a giant alien base under Denver International Airport. I believe Alex Jones has talked about it. Uh, it's a, it's a very well-known theory. I don't know if it's real, but they claim to have accessed this underground facility. And there was a similar alien presence under the airport as there was in Dolce. He claimed that many of the secret technology and aircraft the U S had was the result of back engineering crashed alien technology. He went as far as to claim that the government possessed technology to create earthquakes with no pulse wave, that several alleged terrorist incidents were the results of actions of this secretive behind-the-scenes agency. Now, according to several workers who were friends with Phil, uh, of these engineer workers, there was an increase of human slave slave labor used in various construction projects at this facility under Denver Airport, with a lot of workers being young teenagers. Now, it's interesting also when you look at the amount of missing kids in the U.S. Once again, these are speculative dots, but they are dots nonetheless, and we're connecting them, okay? Because, hey, it could be. There's a lot of crazier things have happened. So what could be worse than missing children being used as slave labor? When these slaves, according to them, when these slaves are worked almost to death, they are literally consumed by the aliens. Holy shit. Phil claimed in the months leading up to his death that several attempts had been made on his life. And it was his belief that these attempts were purely a reaction to his public claims of secret government and intelligence activity. And it was his belief that several of his close friends and contacts had actually been murdered. Whatever the truth is, in January 1996, Schneider was found dead with a piece of wire flex wrapped around several times around his neck with a ruling of suicide being the cause of death. He had spent the previous weeks and months, mind you, the quote that said, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do this. He had spent the previous weeks and months delivering lectures and talks on what he knew of the secret underground bases. Many people, including several members of his own family, do not believe the suicide ruling. Insisting that he was silenced because of what he was saying. Once again, we know that the government is not only capable, but willing. His wife stated that following Phil's death, a thorough search of their property was done by both the CIA and the FBI, with several photographs and miscellaneous items confiscated. 
the idea of an elite class is not that hard to imagine. The idea of an elite class in a new world order is not that hard to imagine. But there are a lot of people, a lot of people, that want to believe that that's just conspiracy. It's just a story. It's not real. People in power want more power. How, what more power can you have than destroying people for knowing your truth and manipulating an entire narrative? What more power can you have than being able to manipulate people? Not only that, but then being able to do whatever you want under the surface having it so locked down that you can do whatever you want under the surface. That's, that's scary. And it's not hard to imagine. It's really not. It's really not. But when you get to talking about these things, people look at you like you're insane. And it's, it's really not. With that being said, Phil's not the only one that was talking like this. And he's not the only one with controversial death. There are a lot of them. Look at the hit and run death of John Mack in 2004. If you're not familiar. In 1969, John Murphy, a reporter who claimed to have audio tapes and photographs of the Kecksburg UFO crash that were eventually confiscated by the government was killed in a hit and run accident in 2004. Also the researcher, the UK researcher, Tony Dodd, Tony Dodd, Tony, <laughs> Jesus fuck, Tony Dodd, who lost his life to a brain tumor that some people claim to have been intentionally planted or activated. Now that sounds a little far-fetched. However, we know from now declassified documents that the CIA has done tests with a so-called heart attack gun. A weapon that can fire a toxin encased in extremely sharp ice that when entering the body would dissolve and not even show an entry wound. Of course, unless you were purposely looking for it. The toxin would then cause the person to go into cardiac arrest. That is from a real declassified document from the CIA. A heart attack gun. Now you're telling me that they can't cause a blood clot? Or a tumor? If they can cause a heart attack? What can't they do if they can encase 
in case a toxin in ice that dissolves on impact and kills the target. What can't they do? That's the easier question. What can't they do? Think. If that doesn't blow your mind, a gun that shoots sharp ice filled with toxin, a ice dart gun. Uh, that's some scary shit. The sudden death of Ron Rommel, the publisher of Alien Digest, a one-time Air Force intelligent agent who in August 1993 shot himself in the mouth. However, if you're a podcast junkie like me, you've probably thought about starting your own. Well, I can tell you firsthand that starting my podcast has been one of the most fun decisions I've ever made. But it can feel overwhelming if you don't know how to get started. That's where Buzzsprout comes in. Buzzsprout is the easiest and best way to start a professional podcast. In fact, it's so good, they've already helped over 100,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout will get your podcast into every major podcasting platform like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. You also get a great-looking podcasting website, audio players so you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and the list goes on and on. Plus, Buzzsprout publishes new blog posts, podcast episodes, and YouTube videos every week so you can learn the ins and outs of podcasting from the people that eat, drink, and breathe it. To start your own podcast and get a $20 Amazon gift card, follow the link in the show notes. This lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, and it helps support our show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. There was some who were close to Ramel who stated that there was no blood discovered on the barrel of the pistol or fingerprints on the weapons or, or on the grip of the weapon. There were also questions about the suicide note left by Ramel, with some claiming it had been clearly written by someone who was left handed and Ramel was right. Alien Digest looked at ideas of aliens preying on humans and even having plans to use them as a food source. And there were individuals who stated that Ramel was, quote, getting close to the truth. Coincidentally, one of the people Ramel worked with closely in the years before his death was none other than Phil Schneider. Also, Deputy Director of Investigations at MUFON, which is the Mutual UFO Network, Ron Johnson was only 43 years old and, according to his most recent medical examination, fit and healthy. However, while attempting or attending the Society of Scientific Exploration meeting in Texas, he suddenly let out a sharp gasp and slumped over in his chair. By the time the other people present had turned to him, Blood was coming out from his nose, and his face was purple. It's believed that Johnson suffered a fatal and sudden stroke. However, when people noticed he had been drinking from a soda can only moments before his death, 
some people started to wonder if he'd been poisoned. When you look at Johnson's background, he had been he had access to sensitive information because he worked on highly technologically advanced products at places like the Institute of Advanced Studies and Earth Tech Inc. Mind you, remember heart attack gun, toxin encased in ice. It might not have even been in a soda. Another MUFON member, Ann Livingston, died of an aggressive form of ovarian cancer in early 1994. When those close to her, as well as other UFO investigators, examined Livingston's own claims of UFO sightings and apparent encounters with the men in black, they began to ask if the fatal illness might have a connection with these events. Her claim was that in 1992, uh, at a little after 7 a.m., a silver-white flash lit up her apartment, which was close to Chicago's O'Hare Airport, who's had a number of sightings as well. And later that day, five faceless figures who wore attire similar to typical men in black showed up. We went over some of the research of Redfern earlier. Remember that name? Remember. In his book, Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind, he looked at mysterious case surrounding Danny Castellaro. In that research, Redfern points out the bizarre fates of two writers, Thomas and Keith, who were who actually wrote several books on UFO encounters. And it was their book that was The Octopus in 1996. While they were attending, now remember, The Octopus, Hydra. While attending Burning Man, Keith fell from a stage and fractured his tibia, which is your shin. According to those around him, it was following this diagnosis that Keith became paranoid. He even told his nephew, Chris Davis, that he feared the operation because he felt he would never wake up. He died on the operating table over a tibia. And the official report says it was due to a blood clot becoming dislodged when he broke his shin and making its way to his lungs. Now the officials insist that his death was a tragic twist of nature and that no further investigation was needed. According to Redford's research, email conversations between Keith and another researcher, Greg Bishop, in the days before Keith's death, discuss how each of them had suffered hacking on their computers. Another twist to the whole thing is the sudden death of the owner of one of the publishers of Keith's work, Ron Bonds, who died from acute food poisoning in 2001. One of Keith's books that Bonds had published, Biowarfare in America, specifically referred to toxins favored by military and intelligence departments that could cause death and look like food poisoning, or even blood clots on the lung, which of course was the official cause of death for Keith. Unbelievable. You see what I'm saying? How it they love to throw the word conspiracy out there, but then when you go over it, 
and you look at them in this in this way, the connection between all of them and the the unbelievable parallels between their work and how they died. One of them dies of food poisoning, the other of a blood clot, and they were working on research of military and intelligence agencies using things to look like food poisoning and blood clots to kill people. Unreal. One of the earliest mysterious deaths connected to UFOs and the alien question is James Forrestal. This goes way back. Way back to like MJ-12. Which if you're not familiar with MJ-12, Majestic 12 was one of the original pre-Project Blue Book military groups that was overseeing, apparently overseeing UFO investigations and they were absolutely keeping it under hush under wraps is what I meant hush hush and under wraps two different things but I combined for under hush anyways he was the very first secretary of defense who apparently threw himself from the 13th or 16th floor reports vary of Bethesda Naval Hospital in 1949, several researchers, this is a deep one, guys. Several researchers cover Forrestal and potential connections to the UFO question. Richard Dolan, who is a great um, ufologist, uh, I don't know if he wants to go by that, but, anyways, he's a UFO researcher. He has a book called UFOs and the National Security State Chronologi- Chronology of a Cover Up, 1941 1973. He says that not only did Forrestal likely have knowledge of the UFO cover-up as a whole, but also of the inner workings of what eventually became the CIA. So by the time he had appointed, or he was appointed Secretary of Defense in 47, according to Dolan's research, much of America's invisible government was already in place. 1947. In September of 47, a memo was discovered in the documents directly from President Truman to Forrestal himself. It read that Forrestal was authorized to proceed with the subject of their recent conversation and that the matter shall be referred to as Operation Majestic 12. Now, whether it was the knowledge of UFOs and aliens by early 1949 that were many legitimate concerns about Forrestal mental state. Nobody knows if everybody knew or not. But believing that the pressures of the job have resulted in him slipping into severe depression, they ultimately considered him unstable and possibly a national security risk. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, due to his increasingly erratic behavior and was removed from the position. Many close to him said he claimed he was being watched by dark, ominous government agents. And according to some research, intelligence agencies, intelligence agencies were very interested in his general movements, and eventually he was admitted to Bethesda Naval Hospital. According to Redfern documents, his mental state appeared to improve over the following weeks, so much so that only days before his suicide, apparent suicide, 
He was witnessed talking happily with the facility staff and also had appeared to have had the return of his usual appetite. Richard Dolan notes that Forrestal's brother, Henry, commented that his brother was, quote, acting and talking as sanely and intelligently as any man he's ever known. Now, I will say one thing about suicide. Now, I'm not saying that he did commit suicide because the circumstances are, you know, very, very suspicious. However, suicide is tough. Because you have a lot of individuals that are very good at putting on a face and making it look like they're okay. And they're not. Now, I'm not, once again, I'm not saying that this happened. I'm just deviating from this for a moment to simply bring a point of awareness. Because I think it's important. It's important to talk to people. A key factor in this is that he was talking happily with the facility staff and his brother, apparently. But a lot of times having conversations with individuals that go beyond just, you know, chit chat, deeper conversations. How are you? How's life? How's your relationship? Things like that. It's important. It's important. I know, you know, this PSA is brought to you by whatever, but I'm just saying it's important. So for those of you that have ever known somebody, you know this, but those of you that don't, suicide is a tricky bitch and suicidal thoughts do not always show as a physical symptom. A lot of people think you're going to be able to see it. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. So, Anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. According to documents, one of the guards entered his room to check on him around 1.45 a.m., and he was still awake reading. He was asked to take a sedative. He said no. Continued reading a little while longer. The guard informed the on-duty psychiatrist of his refusal, and then... The guard and the psychiatrist returned to the room several minutes later, and it was empty. The official version of events states, this is the official story, states that as soon as the guard had left, he went over to the kitchen across the hall, tied one of his bathrobe belts to his neck and the other to the radiator, before removing a covering at a window, then flung himself out. The belt giving way under the weight of his body, and he plummeted to the ground to his instant death. However, there are several things that don't add up, least of which the bathrobe belt Forrestal had apparently was not and would not have been long enough to reach from the radiator to the window, much less anywhere outside of it. According to a biographer of Forrestal from the early 1960s, a little over a decade after his death, this biographer stated that there was a good reason to believe that his death was, quote, very much desired by individuals and groups who, in 1949, held great power in the U.S., 
Now, mind you, it might not have been the truth of UFOs or aliens. It could have been simply the fact that MJ-12 was put in place to create the cover story that would be UFOs for government technology that we got from the Nazis that was potentially extraterrestrial, but that was highly advanced. One person who refused to believe his brother took his own life was was his brother Henry. And as Nick Redfern, remember that name, I keep bringing it up, Redfern points out, it, it could have been, unfortunately, Henry's actions in the day before his brother's death that led to it. Forrestal's brother was becoming angry with the Navy's treatment of his brother. Particularly that he only had access to certain people. So he decided that he would arrange to have him released from the facility. Henry notified the hospital for his plans to remove his brother. He essentially gave them a full 24 hours notice. Redfern points out if there was one time more than any other that some may have wanted Forrest all dead, it was surely when it seemed likely he was due to leave Bethesda and be totally free of the Navy's careful watch and control. Another detail highlighted by Richard Dolan claimed that one of the people who Forrestal wished to see, Father Sheehy, attended the hospital on the morning of his death. And as he was leaving the facility, one of the hospital staff discreetly approached him and stated, Father, you know Mr. Forrestal didn't kill himself, don't you? The man then disappeared from the crowd of reporters. Dolan also points out that the guard on duty that night, Robert Harrison Jr., hadn't been seen before, was brought in to replace the usual guard, who, according to what was detailed at the time, had gotten obscenely drunk the night before. Think about some spy movies where they go and they have some chick or somebody go and they, they find the, the witness or whatever it might be and get him really drunk, kidnap him, whatever it might be. All they had to do was get this guy insanely drunk. But either way, Dolan writes, Harrison was the only person to have direct contact with Forrestal moments before his death. And it was only on his word, on his word, they'd never investigated the guy, that the official account rested on. Not only were there questions regarding whether the belt even reached the window, there was actually no evidence at all in terms of like fibers left over that it had ever been tied to the radiator in the first place. On top of all this, there were scratch marks on the ledge of the window that Forrestal was supposed to have jumped from, suggesting that someone had scratched or had tried to hang from the window and somebody forced them out. 
On top of that, Forrestal was middle of copying out a poem moments before he decided to the point where he stopped middle of a word. Who does that? Who does that? Mid word. I'm going to kill myself. I mean, look, I, I don't know. I haven't been there. But to me, that seems crazy. If you're writing out a poem, I, I, I just, to me, that seems too much. Anyways, even the fact that he had been placed so high up at the facility, 13 to 16 stories, remember? Not sure which. Went against the recommended procedures at the hospital. Those suspected of being suicidal were almost always placed on the first floor. And on top of that, the hospital already labeled his death a suicide before any kind of investigation had taken place, even before the coroner coroner had viewed the scene. There was already evidence of suppression. And get this, because the death occurred on what was U.S. Navy ground, The local police had no authority to investigate. And of course, the Navy was absolutely certain that it was suicide. No investigation needed. So to this day, it's up for debate whether he killed himself or not. But I I think the evidence clearly, clearly points to to, uh, murder. If Forrestal's death was assassination, it's amazing that we live in a time that you can go and shop for cannabis like you do shoes. All kinds of different types and sizes for all types of different individuals. Well, if you're like me and you like a nice, balanced experience with no pesticides, clean soil-grown craft cannabis, then you want to ask for Hell's Canning Cannabis Company in your local Washington retailer. The reason why is because they use true, live, organic soil recipes, custom-made per strain, per plant, like Mother Nature intended. You can't get any better. So if you want craft cannabis with a balanced experience, ranging from strains like Jesus OG or Acapulco Gold, or their own Hell's Cookies, then you want Hell's Canyon Cannabis Company. Ask for them in your local Washington retailer, and if they don't have it, tell them to talk to me, and I'll make sure they get it. Back to the show. He is probably the first person to be silenced in the endeavor to keep the UFO and alien question under wraps or at least in the direction that they want it to go. In fact, it's almost certain that if there was information to be known about UFOs and the general cover-up at the time, Forrestal absolutely would have known about it. Absolutely. His certainty that he was being followed by ominous and shadowy people 
He didn't know if it was Soviet or American, but could this have been an early Men in Black scenario? Mm, maybe. Keep tabs on them. Assume that Forrestal was murdered. Let's assume that he was murdered. W- why? What was it for? What would make this group of people, what secret? Certainly it wasn't like a budget issue. Now there were those that wanted to blame communist agents in the U.S. government that said it was communist agents. It was no secret that Forrestal, he was an anti-communist. Good for him. And he planned to release his diaries, apparently, which contained a lot of this anti-communist sentiment. And so they say, some people say, that uh, the reaction from Soviet agents of the release of this information was to kill him. But as Richard Dolan says, did he learn a truth about UFOs that contributed to his breakdown? Or maybe there was a fear that his unstable mental state was really a risk of what he might reveal. Or maybe the people pulling the strings of the quote-unquote invisible government was afraid he was going to blow the lid off of whatever it was. Maybe the contents of his diaries were a lot more than just anti-communist stuff. Maybe it was a lot more. I'd imagine so. Now let's go look at a guy named Frank Olson who, quote, fell from a New York building four years later, 1953, after expressing opposition to the CIA's MKUltra experiments. In 1990, or in the early 1990s, his body was exhumed and there was extensive scarring to his skull indicating he had been attacked and thrown from the building. Several years later, in 1993, ex-CIA director William Colby was subpoenaed to testify in the investigation to Olson's death. He drowned only days later. In a released CIA document called A Study of Assassination, put into circulation in 1951, they stated clearly, the use of throwing someone from a building or bridge, making it look like a suicide, was a useful technique. In this document, there was extensive coverage of how to throw someone to their death from a height to make it look like a suicide or an accident. Stating, quote, the contrived accident is the most effective technique. It causes little excitement and is only casually investigated. Efficient, it it's continues 
that the most efficient accident was a fall of 75 feet or more onto a hard surface and that elevator shafts, stairwells, unscreened windows, and bridges were particularly good locations. Going into even more detail, it says the act may be executed by sudden, vigorous handling of the ankles and tipping the subject over the edge. It even says if the assassin immediately sets up an outcry, playing the, quote, horrified witness, no alibi or surreptitious withdrawal is necessary. That is a real document with a real title called A Study of Assassination Released by the CIA, people. I don't know what more evidence you need than from an organization that is literally teaching people how to do this. It's been said the death of James Forrestal could quite easily fit the above brief. Someone could have overpowered him after the guard left, tied the belt around his neck, and forced him out the window. Of course, him fighting against it, which leaves the scratch marks on the window. Or because there were no fibers left from there being any robe belt, he was likely just pushed or thrown. An even more suspicious death is UFO researcher Morris Jessup, who not only... Uh, research UFO sightings in the 50s, but also the ancient past and uh, a lot of the huge monuments that were built. He wrote a book called The Case for the UFO in 1955. Shortly after it was published, Jessup began receiving strange letters that were concerned with the contents of his book. They came from a man calling himself Carlos Alande, sometimes referred to as Carl Allen. And he was particularly interested in Jessup's assertions that Einstein's unified field theory should be subject to further study. According to the claims made by Alande's letters, this was something that had already been studied by the Navy, referring to the Philadelphia experiment. Alande made multiple notes in the margins of Jessa of his copy of Jessup's book, and then he sent it to the Office of Naval Research. In response, they sent an invite for Jessup to attend their offices. Redfern, remember Redfern brought him up a bunch of times, points out Jessup's own notes suggest that the situation surrounding him changed drastically following his meeting with the ONR, the Office of Naval Research. He started to receive strange and ominous phone calls speaking words that appeared to be in a foreign language that he didn't understand and that these calls always would end with a sudden hang-up leaving him confused, of course. That would be really weird. Despite this, 
He continued his research, but he was a lot more guarded, of course. And according to some, the day before his death in April, he made arrangements to meet with Dr. J. Manson Valentine concerning a breakthrough of sorts in his work. At 19, uh, 1959, around 7 p.m., a security guard named John Good was driving around the Matheson Hammock Park in Miami, Florida. As he was about to close the park down for the evening, he spotted a car near a quiet picnic area. He could clearly see a hose running from the exhaust into the vehicle through a slightly open window with wet towels around the gap to ensure no oxygen leaked in. When he got in the car, opened the door, it was Morris Jessup in the front seat. And he was clearly dead. Needless to say, as straightforward as his death appeared to be, many close to him, and specifically his work, were very, very suspicious. In the weeks and months after Jessup's death, Alande came forward to claim he had made everything up that he had told the researcher. But then you turned on that instead claiming it was really the truth after all. And it appears that Alande was also a fraud who apparently led this guy to his death. Many people have researched this, uh, the life and death of, of Morris Jessup, and they all highlight the concern that there was no autopsy carried out. The determination was suicide solely based on the way his body was discovered. That was it. There was also a detail regarding the towels wrapped around the host. Specifically, they didn't belong to him. They didn't come from his house. So there, so unless he went and bought them specifically for that, which I, I don't think that would have happened. There were even questions around how the towels were soaked. There was no container of water and no evidence of the lake water from the park nearby. Over a decade and a half after his death, new details emerged in the public courtesy of a woman named Anna Likens Genslinger, who claimed that she knew for certain that Jessup had not committed suicide. He was seen several, or he had seen, or no, okay, wait, go back. There's a lot of people that have Met interesting ends, for sure. But realize, these are real people and real tragic deaths. This is real stuff. So I know it's interesting to speculate on and all that, but realize, you know, this is a very, it's a very dark thing, a real thing, you know, that, uh, look, it, It's hard sometimes because these are just stories. But at the same time, there were real deaths involved in these. And so what I'm getting at here is we're in a time 
when there's a lot of talk about trust in our government, and there's a lot of people on both sides of that, for good and bad reasons, I think what's interesting is that you have to look deeper than the surface level. Look at all the official reports and all these. All the official reports are suicide, heart attack, stroke, blood clots, all just very tragic, unfortunate events that that seem to appear at random. But like we've gone over, like the UFO and alien question in general, it gets murky. It gets deep. And maybe some of these people did die by their own hands. Or maybe they didn't. Could the government be using disinformation to distract once again from what they're really doing? You know, what do they call it? 5D chess, 4D chess, whatever it is. They're always four steps ahead. I mean, that's why they have all these agencies, all these agents, all these departments doing things. Because it takes a lot of pieces, I would imagine, to put all this together. Keep in mind, conspiracy, once again, that term is used to discredit and mislead, to make it look disingenuine, to make it look like there's an ulterior motive there. Conspiracy theorists, their theories, whether they're conspiracy or not, think about all the conspiracy theories that have come in the past. MK Ultra was one of them. A big one that was denied, 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 and, ne- and then declassified. And now we know it was real. In fact, UFOs, the Pentagon has come forward saying, yes, UFOs are real, but they're not ours. I don't know. I don't know. To throw another level of crazy on this, on these strange deaths of these investigators and researchers. There's a date that has been highlighted by this guy, Nick Redfern, June 24th. And this comes from research from Otto Bender. According to these files, there is a wealth of UFO related deaths that occurs on this particular date. Now, how is this date important or, or related? 
This is the first official UFO report by Kenneth Arnold. Occurred 1947, June 24th. One of the earliest UFO investigators and researchers, Frank Scully, died suddenly June 24th, 1964. Three years later, same date, Edward Bryant. Same date, Richard Church died. French researcher and author Robert Chereau, June 24th, 1978. And Jackie Gleason, who allegedly had been shown an alien body by President Nixon in the mid-70s, died June 24th, 1987. Is the government killing people and covering it up? Yeah, I think so. Are they capable of it? Okay, let me pull back. Are they doing it? I don't know. Are they capable of it? Fuck yeah. Have they done it before? Absolutely. Are they capable of staging alien abductions and making people believe it's aliens, including implanted false memories? Yes. Go look at the MKUltra experiments. I'm telling you, it's it's unbelievable. We're talking We're talking implanted memories. Implanted false memories that your brain fills in the details and makes it seem real. False memories that are tri- can be triggered later through keywords or flashing lights or whatever it might be. They can do this. They have done it successfully. They did tests, experiments, and they got results. And I believe that it's not just one thing these people stumbled on. I think I think UFO and aliens, I think that's tip of the iceberg. I think they like the idea that UFOs and aliens are a fall guy for them. You have a population that automatically points a camera in the sky, films something incredible, and immediately says it's a UFO. Immediately. I mean, it is an unidentified flying object. But nobody looks at that and points out and goes, look, a new government craft they're experimenting on. Nobody. That right there, that right there is worth killing for. Animosity. Not animosity. Anonymity. (laughs) Oh, fuck, I'm stupid. Anyways. (laughs) Anonymity. Think about that. What would you give? What would you do if you could have anonymity? And let, let's think about the fact if you are not a good person. These are not good people. People in government, these are not good people. These are evil, manipulative, corrupt people. 
who all they want is power. More and more and more. And what what they're doing with it, I don't I think we barely have a fucking clue. So do with this information what you will. Make of these deaths what you will. But in my mind, there is no doubt. There is no doubt. The government, they're shysty bastards. Hey, thank you everybody once again. Coming on another episode, really appreciate it very, very much. Go on, like the show, share the episodes with your friends, your family, neighbors, shout it from the rooftops, subscribe, review where you can. Please hit me up, 208-790-8226. I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. Uh, Otherwise, that's it for me, folks. You have a wonderful, wonderful, whatever day you're listening to this on, thank you. Have a great one. Love y'all. Watch out. Keep your eyes to the skies.